So when I was a kid, we moved a lot. No one else in here has probably ever experienced that. But uh, when we were kids, uh, we, we moved around a lot. Um, at one point in time, seven different schools in four years. And we were not in the military. And so um, uh, it, it was kind of crazy. Here's what you learn to do. You learn to connect quickly, uh, connect with others real quick, and then you also learn to uh, move on. Not that you've forgotten them, but, you know, you just, you just move. It's what you do. There are a lot of benefits to that, and I think uh, part of that is I'm the person I am now, good or bad, uh, because of the amount of moving that, that I've had to do. Here's what happens occasionally, is you will move to a school, and someone you knew from the school previous will end up at that school. It doesn't happen if you're homeschooled, but it does happen if you're in public school. You go to this school, and then someone else will follow, right? And then it's like, dude, I know you. Where do I know you from? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Where, where do, oh, right. When I was in the sixth grade, I went to Connor Middle School, and then in the seventh grade, I transferred to Tishner Middle School, and I ended up staying in that school district until, uh, until I graduated, which was a lifesaver. I got to Tishner, and, um, and in the, oh, let's see, yeah, it was in seventh grade when I got to Tishner. One of my friends from Connor, his name was Damon, he shows up, and I'm like, dude, Welcome to Tishner. I'm going to welcome you in a way that only you and I would know. See, we were, we were boys at Connor Middle School. And what our circle of friends did in middle school was to show how much we loved one another. We would just, when no one was expecting it, just punch you. And here's the thing is I wanted to belong so bad. I hated it. I hated punching other people. I'm so, I'm... I'm a lover, not a fighter. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, I hated getting punched. Who likes that? No one likes that. Uh, and I really just didn't like punching you. It just wasn't like, I was like, why are we doing this? Oh, well. So Damon was a part of this group of people. I remember it. It was about this time of year. You know what I'm talking about when you leave with six layers of coats on, and then you get home and all of those coats are in your back seat, right? And your just back seat piles up. It's that time of year. And the way that Tishner Middle School was, it was up on a hill. The parking lot was down the hill. I see Damon, and I'm like, I'm going to welcome him to Tishner. Welcome back, old friend. And so what I do is I get a full head of steam down this hill, and I am running. He to get the best welcome he's ever experienced in his life. I'm flying. And I get about three feet away. I'm not going to punch him. I hate punching, so I'm going to smack him in the back of the head. I'm three feet away, hand open, forward motion, only to realize it's not Damon. <laughs> I don't know who this kid is. But he's about to get slapped because I can't stop it at this point. So, sure enough, man, I'm flying down this hill. Now, y'all got to understand, I've never been in a fight in my life. So I'm running through all the scenarios of what's about to happen. So he gets it, you know, he just gets smacked, you know, like, psh. And I did what my maturity, because of all the moving, my maturity level, as you can tell, has always been higher than everyone else's. 
And so I did the most mature thing that I could think to do when you're in seventh grade. Just keep running. <laughs> Just keep going. <laughs> and I got in the car, and I was like, uh, Mom, we got to go. <laughs> I don't know what happened after that. Like, I don't know. I didn't, like, we didn't fight at school or anything. I'm just hoping I hit him so hard he forgot. I don't, I don't really know what happened. Have you ever spent uh, time in your life running after the wrong thing? You ever spent time in your life maybe in a full dead sprint, and then you get close enough and you realize, holy smokes, I've been in pursuit of the wrong thing. And, you know, just when you're about to smack the wrong kid, you realize there's no going back. I'm really afraid for the church. And I'm really afraid for those of us who call ourselves Christians that we might be in pursuit of the wrong thing. And the thing that terrifies me is that we're really good at it. And as we're running toward the wrong thing, and when you're good at it, why stop? Just keep going. Success breeds success, breeds success, breeds success. And so why would you stop stop if you're good at it? So today, I want to get us focused. Y'all, we're nine months old. Our church is nine months old. There's no doubt that God is blessing what's happening here. He will only continue to do that if we're in pursuit of the right thing. And so let's make sure that we make the main thing the main thing today. Um, so let's open up our Bibles. That's a good place to start. It's the only place to start. We shouldn't start with running down a hill, smacking wrong kids in the head. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Look, there's no shame in this. Actually, I need one. I forgot to put one up here. Can I have one? Thanks. I was going to say throw it, but I was afraid someone might get offended if we throw God's word, so... They get thrown when we set them up, so. Um, so go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be in a place called the Sermon on the Mount. While you're getting there, I just want to tell you, if you don't have a Bible, there's a few other ways you can follow along. Um, you can download the Restore Church app, and we put um, some additional bonuses on there, right? Uh, you can worship if you just touch those songs uh, under the bulletin section. Um, it'll play the songs that we play today. And then uh, you can follow along with my sermon notes on there or the YouVersion Bible app. If you download that and search under events, uh, you'll see Restore Church and you can follow there. Um, Or you can follow along on the screens. But if you're going to get in-depth into God's Word, uh, you need a Bible to have at home and you can't take these screens home with you. So what we're about to read is called the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' longest recorded sermon in the Gospels. He might have preached longer sermons, uh, but we don't have them recorded. We have this one uh, to read. Some commentators also believe that it's Jesus's most well, this is strange, some commentators, uh, like theologians who give their life to studying this, say that this also might have been his most well-attended sermon that he gave. Other commentators
it could have been one of two things. It could have been Jesus trying to escape the crowd. He does this occasionally. He'll have a large crowd around him, and then he'll go up on a mountainside to be alone. Sometimes he'll be alone to pray or, or whatever. And so he might be trying to get away from the crowd. Some other people think that he's trying to amplify his voice, and this is just a practical way. The crowd's right here, and so he just gets up a little higher so his voice will go. It, again, it doesn't really matter. What matters is who he's talking to. Who is Jesus trying to address here in verse 2? He went up on a mountainside in verse 1, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. What's really important for us to understand right here is the next few pages in your Bible, all of these red letters that are run together, Jesus is trying to address his disciples. There was this planning stage that we had for Restore Church. It was about a year and a half long process of uh, fundraising, of making plans, of learning, and just being fully immersed in church planting. I was in a group online, and it was three or four, it was, it was five of us who, who had the same end goal to start a new church. And we were talking with a guy, his name is Bobby Harrington, looking him up. Uh, he's, man, he writes about discipleship, about becoming a disciple of Jesus. And he asks us all, I was last, so I kind of made out on this one. But he, he starts one by one saying, hey, what's the mission statement of your church? Now, our mission statement uh, has not changed. Our mission statement is to create disciples by relentlessly loving God, recklessly loving people, and radically loving the world. Y'all, I want to tell you this. That was our mission before we had a name. And so that is like our name will change before our mission will. And so we're going around, and he, he starts to ask people, what's your mission, what's your mission, what's your, what's your mission statement? And then... It stopped before it got to me, which was great, because I was like, you can embarrass these guys. Please don't embarrass me, dude. And he asked them this question, and I've got it on the screen. And he says, what is the purpose of the church? So he asked, what's your mission? And then he just, like, it was like he was frustrated. And he says, y'all, what's the purpose of the church? And again, I was not trying to buzz in to answer right away. I knew where this was headed. And some people were like, man, we're just going to go, like, we're just hell-bent on trying to find lost people and bring them into Jesus. And I was like, man, that sounds good. And the guy just sat back, and he shook his head. And then uh, someone else, he, he said, we're, we're going um, we're gonna to go seek the good of our city. Hey, we talked about that a few weeks ago, seeking the good of our city. And uh, he's like, he just shook his head. Those things are not bad, y'all. Listen, those things are not bad. But the mission of the church says it, Jesus says it in Matthew chapter uh, 28, verses 18 to 20. You might have it memorized, maybe you don't, but this is what Jesus says. Y'all want to hear the mission of the church? It's this. He's got his disciples around. He's about to ascend into heaven. This is the last thing that he tells them. The disciples will not see Jesus again until they get to heaven, and this is what he tells them. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority is given to me. Uh, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he like passes it along. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always until the very end of the age. Keep that up there for a second. Verse 19, therefore go and make disciples. That's the command. And then it's got these conditional participles. All right, let's nerd out for a minute. Um, they're like walking participles, baptizing and teaching. Basically what that meant, what this means is he says, go and make disciples. And then these walking participles are how you do that. Go and make disciples of all nations. You can almost add by baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then he says, surely I'm with you till the very end of the age. Y'all, the purpose of the church is not just finding lost people. I want you to hear something. We are also hell-bent on finding people who are lost, who are far from God, and bringing them in to knowing peace and joy and mercy and grace and freedom. And we are also diligent about loving our city and, and being here for the good of our city. But we're in this to make disciples by relentlessly loving God, recklessly loving people, and radically loving the world. If you want to know what the mission, what the purpose of the church is, it's to, make, it's to get people to live and to love like Jesus did. To be a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus got that. And so, who's around when Jesus is teaching in Matthew chapter 5? It's his disciples. It's those who are dedicated to loving Jesus. It's the church. Right? If you want to live and love like Jesus, then listen. Because he's got some words to share. So, all right, look. We could spend a year going through the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to spend like five minutes. No, ten minutes. Sermon on the Mount, and then we're going to add some application to the end of it. All right, so look, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, he starts, he starts saying, like, some crazy things. I mean, they're not so crazy for us because we have the Bible now, and so we can look back and see them. But Jesus starts to talk about what it's like to follow him. Um, I just want to make this clear before we move on. Y'all saw what the goal is. You saw what, the, what we're running down the hill for. We're running down the hill for the purpose to make disciples so that God can be glorified, right? And that's the purpose of the church. That's the purpose of this church. And so Jesus wants to make sure that we're all on the same page. And so he starts, he's got his, he's got his disciples around. And in Matthew chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 3, he starts to say things like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In what society are the poor idolized? Only in the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in, the, in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted when you're part of the kingdom of God. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the, the earth. In what world... Do the weak inherit anything? They don't. They get run over. They get stepped on by the person who's going to the next spot. But in the kingdom of God, the meek will inherit the earth. We've got to go fast. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, 
Y'all stop fighting on Facebook. (laughs) Or just in general. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. See, here's going to happen. You start to live and to love like Jesus, you will start to look different. I promise. People will not be able to recognize the world in you, but they'll say, man, there's something different about that dude. There's something different about her. And I don't quite know what it is. Jesus knew that. Actually, in the next section, he says it. Look, uh, Verse 14, you are the light of the world when you're a disciple of Jesus. A town built on a hill can't be hidden. And neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to, the, to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds, and then do what? Glorify your Father in heaven. When you start to live and love like Jesus, you start to look different. But it's not so that you can look different. It's for the glory of your Father in heaven. Look, Jesus is going to continue to teach. Remember, he's got his largest or maybe smallest. Who knows? But he's got those who are trying to pursue him around. And he's like, man, I want you to be different. You've got to be different. You're going to be in this world, but not of the world. And so he starts teaching things like this. Look, in chapter 5, verse 27, he says, You've heard that it was said you should not commit adultery, but I'm telling you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, and ladies, at a male lustfully, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I'm going to survey the room real quick. Y'all, this purity last beyond virginity. And I think we need to say this in the context of our marriages also. Men and women, husbands and wives, keep yourself pure even in marriage. Extra things to try to spice things up, you catch what I'm saying, they've got no room in your bedroom. Because you're lusting after other people. And you both together are committing adultery if you're a follower of Jesus. He goes on to say, verse 38, You've heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I'm telling you, do not uh, resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, knock them out. (laughs) Turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. He says things like verse 43, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I'm telling you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
chapter 6, Jesus keeps talking to his disciples. Listen, if you want to be someone who lives and loves like Jesus, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you got to listen to this. In chapter 6, he starts to teach on just some basic things that disciples do. I want you to look at verse 2. He says, so when you give to the needy, look what he doesn't say, if you give to the needy. But what he says is, when you give to the poor. And then he talks about how to do that. Read that on your own time. And then in verse 5, he says, and when you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray. Y'all, people who are following Jesus, how's your prayer life? Yeah, so when you pray, he talks about that. Read that later. And then he says, when you fast, not if you fast, but when you fast. Read that, and you'll see how Jesus talks about fasting. Jesus is teaching here what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Y'all, we're getting there, but, we're, uh, but Jesus takes it a step further. So he, he gets this, um, he paints this framework almost. Here's what it takes. It's like this is not a maximum requirement. These are like minimum, I want to follow Jesus type things. And he just keeps talking. And he just keeps talking, and he just keeps talking. And then in verse 20, uh, in chapter 6, verse 25, he says this. He says, therefore, I tell you, look, if you're going to follow Jesus, there might be some things in your mind right now you've got to give up. There might be people in your mind right now that you've got to cut off. Or some people in your mind that you've got to go love or forgive. Maybe there's some things you've got to stop doing, or maybe some things you've got to start doing. Look, there's a lot that comes along with that. And when you follow Jesus, there, there's like this high level of stress. <laughs> there's like this high level of, of anxiety. Here's what happens. But what if? Oh, this, this is going to be good. <laughs> we use this, this word, but. Like, I want to, but. I, I, I want to do this, but, and, and but is not a, like, don't laugh that I'm saying but over and over and over. Some of you are trying real hard not to right now. Um, but is a contrast word. It puts two things against each other. And so when you're like, I want to serve, but, and then you give this excuse right here, what two things are you opposing the kingdom of God and you. So it's like, I want this, but I want to serve, but I want to give, but what if we did, I want to serve, so I, I want to give, and so with these, worries that, with these worries that come up, Jesus says this in verse 25, he says, therefore, I tell you, um, Where's verse 25? Oh, the little number. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body and what you will wear. Is not life more important than clothes? I think it's this. It's me. Look at the birds of the air. Store away in barns. Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they are? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? 
And why do you worry about clothes? You see the flowers of the field, they grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? That's tough. I wish he wouldn't have added that part. Because when you worry about things that God can handle, that little part, that's for you, that's for me. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear for the pagans, or people who are not pursuing God. Uh, They run after all these things, but your heavenly Father knows what you need. Verse 33. But, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You see what Jesus does? You see how he uses this? But he takes the pursuit of our things, like we're pursuing our things, but still worrying, and he's like, no, 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 no. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things we're worrying about, God's got you. Got this tattoo on my back. Uh, when people ask me what it means, I usually say 18-year-old mistake. <laughs> it's got my initials. Uh, I, all right, look, I've got my initials on my back so I can say this. Why do I need my initials on my back? Even if I were to forget, look in the mirror, they're backwards, right? <laughs> but behind it, uh, behind it is a Chinese symbol for Jesus. The reason I know it means Chinese symbol is because the book at the tattoo shop said it did. And they know Chinese, Right? So what really happened is we're sitting around, we're uh, actually eating Chinese food, and uh, it comes up, and uh, it's me, uh, my girlfriend at the time, who I married, and her parents, and her dad, he's just trying to get me. He's like, how do you know it says Jesus? And I was like, dude, I'm telling you, the book at the tattoo place said it did. He's like, let's find out for real. And I was like, all right. So he takes me up the road where we just got Chinese food from. He pulls the guy working in the back. He doesn't speak a lick of English. And so he, he, he can tell, you know, like, he's going to read my back. And so, uh, like, we don't say anything. We don't preface this with anything. But Eric, that's my father-in-law, he just waves him up. And so he just looked at me. He's like, all right, do it. And so I did. Like, I just lifted my shirt up. And, y'all, he was like, Jesus, he got your back. And I was like, yeah, in your face (laughs) and on my back. (laughs) When you put Jesus first, when you put the kingdom of God before anything else, Jesus has got your back. What's there to worry about? What's there to stress about, to fret about? The food, clothes? Jesus has got you. He has got your back and literally has mine. So here, here are some things that we need to do real quick. Let's, let's put together three practical ways that we can seek first the kingdom of God or, or three, three obstacles that we need to overcome. As we do this, I want you to think about Jesus. 
I want you to think about Jesus putting first the kingdom of God and God's glory or God's righteousness. How about when Jesus is tempted by Satan to eat and to show off his power and Jesus refuses and uses the word of God? How about when Jesus does miracles and people come to him and they're like, man, you are awesome. And he's like, no, 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 it's my father in heaven. How about when Jesus just gives his whole life for the glory of God, even when he's on his knees in the garden saying, please, God, find another way. So as we think about these things, think about Jesus. The first obstacle I think you and I have to do in order to seek first the kingdom of God is to overcome our fear. If we're going to be subjects of God's kingdom, then that means we are going to be disciples of Jesus. It means your life is going to look different. And for some of us, that's scary. Relationships might end. Rumors might begin. Your credibility or your, uh, might go out the window. Your work environment might become hostile. We're going to have to stand up sometimes for things that we used to allow to pass through our lips and our ears. We're going to have to give our time to serving. And that's difficult and that might scare you. We're going to have to give our talent to serve others. There are some of you who are ready to serve and give your talents back to God, but you're just a little hesitant, maybe because of fear. Give our finances to serving others if we're going to live and love like God, live and love like Jesus. And all of this is scary. It's terrifying. Believe me, I've been there. But we've got to realize, one, that sometimes fear is healthy. And it is a catalyst to growing our faith. You remember Peter in the boat? There's a storm around. The Bible says he's terrified. It uses the word that means he's shaking. And so fear is not uh, a sin to be scared. But when Jesus says, come to me, if Peter would have let his fear seize him and stay on the boat, that's when it becomes a sin. What does Peter do? He steps out and he walks. And don't think that every day of Peter's life he doesn't remember what it felt like when he stepped on a watery, firm foundation. So fear can build our faith. When the kingdom of God is first in your life, fear can't be. When the kingdom of God is first in your life, fear can't be. And you can only overcome fear by overcoming fear. You can't be in the boat and say, I'm going to overcome this. Man, you got to step out of the boat. So would you? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, even though you're terrified. The second thing is probably a more practical thing to put the kingdom of God first. And that is to create margin. So here's more of a practical thing to do. You guys know what margin is when you bought the paper for elementary school and that little pink line, right? It created room. I don't know why it was there, but it created room. Um, you know what it means to create margin in a budget or whatever, whatever it is. One of the things, one of the reasons you and I fail to put the kingdom of God first is because we just can't. I mean, we... 
I think that most Christians, like we have the heart to put the kingdom of God first. We understand that the kingdom of God comes first. But when it comes time, we use the phrase, I just don't have enough. I don't have enough time. Right? I, I, I don't have enough money. There's this really good preacher. He comes from um, somewhere west in North Carolina. If it's past 95, it doesn't matter. Right? God has blessed 95 and east. We call it Eastern North Carolina. J.D. Greer, he says that when you read the Good Samaritan, you should read it from the perspective of margin. You remember the guy gets beat up. He gets all of his things taken. And then the priest and the Levite come by, the people who are supposed to help, but they just can't. And J.D. Greer says it's, it's, it probably, and it shouldn't be a matter of the heart, but what he says, it's a matter of they just have different priorities. They have to go somewhere more important. They haven't built in enough margin in their time or in their budget. Y'all, we are ruled by our calendars. We have begun to serve the God of busy, of I can't because I've got this meeting, or I can't because I'm doing this thing. And look, how many times have you missed an opportunity to serve someone or to love someone because you're just, because we, I'm included in this, y'all, because we are just so laser focused on what's next. In your time, um, create some margin. Uh, we're going to make this available to you. We're going to put it on our app. We're going to put it on our Facebook. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll put it on our app and our Facebook. Um, J.D. Greer, the guy who, who said this, he, he put a, um, a time audit worksheet. And this would be a great opportunity. I started doing it, but it, it allows you to audit your time. Um, and find out where you're spending most of it and if it's the kingdom first or not. The second thing that we need to create more margin is, is our finances. Like, here again, I think that we want to seek the kingdom of God with our finances. Some of us want to give generously, but we just can't. We've got so many bills. We've got uh, so much stuff that we subscribe to or, or whatever it is. And so if you want to give financially, if you want to give sacrificially to God, but you just can't because we're paycheck to paycheck, I want to give you a few things that you can do where you can create some budget in your, uh, create some margin in your budget. Next year, you can do anything for a year. If you set your mind to it, you can do anything for a year. Um, what if you don't drink Starbucks all year? And all of the basics just put their head down like, can't do that. <laughs> Easy, I know, right? Or w what if you did that? Or fast food. And every time that you said, man, I'm going to go get coffee, you just took $5 and put it in a savings account. Or you put $5 in a Kingdom of God account. Because, you know, you can't, like, look at a straw in Starbucks without spending 5 bucks. So what if you take that $5 and just, just move it? You can go without. Or, I'm telling you, you can go without fast food. I know it's hard for me too. But if you took $5 every time you're like, man, I'm going to go to McDonald's, the Holy Spirit should just like seize your car up. But anyway, take, take those $5 and move them into a savings account or move them into a kingdom of God account. 
hey, look, print off your, print off your, uh, your last month's statement. That'll tell you what you're serving. It might be a hobby. It might be the kingdom of God. It might be food. <laughs> yeah. Are there things in your life that you can go without that you can start to give to the kingdom of God so that God's glory might shine brighter? Here's the last thing. So the first thing is overcome fear. The second thing is to create margin. The last thing is you got to have the right king. you got to have the right king. If you're going to be in the kingdom of God, you have got to have the right king. Um. So there's this nation. It's a tiny nation built of small tribes. And for centuries, uh, the nation surrounding would come in and pillage and plunder and take whatever they wanted. I mean, after that happens so often, you just, you just assume the position, right? Like you just say, all right, I'll... This is, our, this is where we live in this society. Just take what you want. We won't put up a fight. So the surrounding nations would come and they would take food. They would take their plants, their harvest. They would take their goods for service. They would take men, women, and children and use them however they wanted. And for, for decades, which grew to centuries, it's just what happened. And so one day, man, this like... This kid at the time, he just grew sick of it. I'm tired of living this way. I'm tired of being the, I'm tired of being your, your punching bag, right? I'm tired of feeling this way. I'm tired of feeling powerless. I'm tired of feeling like a prisoner. I'm tired of feeling like a slave to societies that I'm not even a part of. So he's like, I'm going to do something about it. And he's, he, he said in his mind, as a young kid, he's going to start training. Because one day he's going to lead his people to go back and claim everything that was taken from them. And, uh, and so he does. When the society, when this little country hears about it, they're doing everything they can to help. Because, look, they want out of this. They want a king who can lead them out of the cycle they're in. Anybody else? So they do everything they can to get this kid. Like they're just, they're helping him train. They're, they're, they're giving him their resources. The whole society right now is revolved around this soon-to-be king. And finally, when he became a man, it was natural. He just took his position as king. His first step as king was to get people to go with him. And so he, he starts to train up men and women who are ready to, to go to battle with him. And man, wouldn't you know it? He goes, back, he goes on his first expedition and he comes back with men, women, and children. And he comes back with crops and he comes back with food. And if the people are like excited. They're like, this is, this is great. And he said, all right, well, get ready because we're going to go do it again. And he does it again and he does it again and he does it again. And now this nation is stable. They're like yeah, we're our own kingdom. And sure enough, man, like as the decades grow, to cent- grows, grow more and more and more, this king holds 
this nation as a stable one, as a force to be reckoned with, and people stop coming in and trying to take what is theirs. The king grew old, and the people in the town decide, we're going to throw a party for you as you, like, fade out as our king. So they throw a party, and uh, this is the plan. The king doesn't know what's going to happen, but he knows there's going to be a party. And this is the plan. It's like, everybody go back to your own home and gather your best wine. And what we're going to do is we're going to bring our best wine, and we're going to all pour it in this big cauldron, and we're going to give our best wine to the king. And if everyone goes home and brings their best wine and gives it to the king, man, he's going to taste it. He's going to be so satisfied with what we've brought him. So the day comes, and everyone's wine is in this spot, and they bring out the king, and they're like, King, thank you so much for what you've given to us. Here's just a small portion of what we can give back to you. It is our best wine. And the king steps up, and he's crying, he's happy, he's excited, he's thankful, he's humbled. And he takes the ladle, and he puts it in a cup, and he takes a drink. And everyone is anticipating what the king's going to do. And he spits it out. And the people are heartbroken. What's what's happening? And so the king tries again. And and he puts the ladle in and he puts it in his cup. And again, everyone's like, all right, maybe this is it. And he takes a drink. And sure enough, he spits it out. And with disappointment and those tears, the motive of those tears changing, he turns around and he walks away, leaving the people in bewilderment of what just happened. One of the tribe leaders steps up to the cauldron and he looks in. He turns around to the people and he takes a deep breath and he says, it's just water. Everyone else in the community thought, well, if everyone else is bringing their wine, all I have to do is bring water. What are you giving to your king? A king who has fought for your life. A king who took you out of bondage from your sin and your shame and has given you a new life. He's given you freedom and he's given you a place to belong in the strongest kingdom that will ever exist, the kingdom of God. What are you giving to him? Are you just giving him water? Or are you giving him what belongs to him? Your very best our God and our King. We can never give back to you what you've given to us. But God, let us bring to you our best. Let us seek first the kingdom of God and your glory, your righteousness. Today, God, we're not worried about the things of this world because you got our back. So God, we're going to full out sprint down the hill running after you. God, we want to pursue the right thing. Today, God, we recognize you as our king. Please take our lives as an offering to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.